Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with freedom through faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. We're so blessed that you could join us. You take time out of your busy busy schedule to, to come join us as we search the scriptures and and are led by the Spirit through the Word of God that edifies the body of Christ and delivers sinners from an eternal hell. Amen. We're just so blessed to be able to share the Scriptures with you. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. And we'll thank Him for this day. We'll thank Him for the study we're about to enter into. Father, in Jesus' name we come this day, thanking You and praising You. Thanking you for your word that became flesh. Thanking you for salvation that's offered through Jesus alone. Thanking you, Father, for opening the scriptures to us, leading us by your Holy Spirit this day, that all things may come together for good, that all things will work together for the furtherance of your gospel into this earth. To you we give honor, glory, and praise, and we ask you to lead us through this study now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Join me in our confession of faith, commonly referred to as the Apostles' Creed, as the foundation upon which we build each and every study. Glory to God. Just repeat these words after me and ponder them in your heart. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's coming from there soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. This is the story of the ten virgins and their lamps and we're going to go over this a little bit different than what you have probably heard this taught as. I know I personally have taught it, looking at the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish, and the oil and the lamps was representation of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having Jesus inside you, five didn't, five did, and, and you know, we looked at the study of the bridegroom coming for his church and how the five who were ready were escorted in 
to the banquet and the doors were shut. The five others came, hey, let us in, let us in. We're supposed to be there too. And he said, I didn't know you. I mean, I've, I've studied that. I've heard others study that. I've heard others preach about it. I've preached about it. But I want to look at something that I would say 90% of the body of Christ overlooks. And I have not heard anybody preach about it. But the Holy Spirit led this verse to me. And I want to share it with you now. Let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps but took no oil with them. The wise took oil in their vessels also with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us your oil, some of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. And the wise said, No, unless there's not enough for us and you. You should go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward, those that were not ready came also, the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered from inside and said, Verily I say unto you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for you don't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. Amen. All right. You've heard that story before. You've heard pastors and ministers and preachers speak about this story. And what, if, I, if you were here live in front of me and I were to ask you, what can we glean from this story? Some people would say, you know, that the ten represent, you know, the whole body. The five wise, five foolish, you know, goes right along before with what Jesus said with one will be taken, one left. The vessels represents uh, the body, your body. The oil represents the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, the call at midnight represents, you know, the rapture of the church. And, and that, uh, you know, the ones that were ready went in. The ones that didn't will be left behind saying, we're supposed to go too, Jesus will answer, I don't know you. That's the gist of most of the preaching. Let's go look, though, at what I believe is the most significant part of this story. While the bridegroom tarried, now let's stop there for a second and set the the groundwork for this. In the Jewish culture of this day, when a man and woman decided they were going to be married, there was a betrothal period. She was betrothed to him. In all facts and circumstances, they were now married. There was a betrothal ceremony and all that. But there were no relations no intimate relations. And the man then went back to his father's house and prepared there a new home, an addition, where he and his wife would live. Him and his father, they would work on it. 
building this place where he and the bride would live. When the father said it was ready, the son would go get the father of the bride who would come and inspect it. And once he gave his approval to, yes, this is a good place for my, wife, for my daughter to, to live and be your wife, then a ceremony was declared, usually a week long, and at that time, the bridegroom would come, take his bride, after the wedding ceremony, wedding feast, they would then return to the father's house. And that's where they would live. The bride was translated out of her, her father's house and into the father of the bridegroom's house. And you can put all the analogies together and you can see uh, the story there about what is happening to us as the body of Christ. Amen? We were betrothed to Jesus. When you became born again, you were betrothed to him. You have not yet gone to heaven, if you're listening to this broadcast. You're still waiting for the bridegroom to come. You're waiting for Jesus to come and take you away. Amen? Jesus himself said, I am going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. All right? So this is what's happening right now. The story here, if we come back down to verse 5, while the bridegroom tarried, so they were waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. He hasn't come yet. They're still waiting. They started to get tired. Verse 5, they slumbered and slept. All of them slumbered and slept. What does? What's the difference between slumbered and slept? Slumbered means they were getting weary and going about their duties. And they slept. They were asleep. The church, folks, today is asleep. Asleep at the wheel, you could say. Those who are not asleep are slumbering. They're going about their duties. You know, they're going down to the homeless shelter and helping out. They're going to feed the homeless. They're going to the uh, rescue centers for battered women and they're sending missionaries out into the field and and they're you know mailing out tracks. Not very many people go door knocking nowadays. Most of it's done by mail. Uh, you know, they're holding meetings, they're preaching, blah 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 blah. That's slumbering. Unless you're fired up for God, that's slumbering. And the whole body slept. That's what the scripture says. All of them slumbered and slept. Verse 6, And at midnight, now this is saying the middle of the night. Remember the Jewish clock ran basically from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. The crack of dawn to sunset. But that was the basic premise is 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. was considered day, and 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. was considered night. So if the middle of the night... It would be midnight. Amen. At the in the middle of the night, at midnight, when you're when it's the darkest, I would venture to say that the world we live in today, we could say it is definitely midnight. We are in the middle of the darkest time the earth has ever known, with man upon it. I mean, you have a, uh, I'll just say ISIS 
rising in the Middle East, taking it over. You have the Muslim Brotherhood, which was the hope of the Obama administration for peace in the Middle East. Come to find out, they're one of the most feared terrorist organizations over there other than ISIS. And the people of Egypt rose up and kicked them out and arrested the president, trying him for all the murders that were committed. ISIS has taken over basically from Syria all the way down the river Euphrates through Iraq. If you look at a map of the territory they hold, it's all along the river Euphrates, which goes right along with what the Bible says, where four angels will be loosed at the river Euphrates that have been held there in bondage for this day and this hour. And this is what you can see happening right now. Am I saying we're in the middle of the tribulation? No. I'm saying it's at midnight right now. The darkest hour. Which Jesus said, you will not know the day nor hour, but you'll know the season. You'll be able to discern. Matter of fact, let's go over there. Uh, I believe it's in, let's look over here in Matthew chapter 10. I believe it is. Let's see. Oh, glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. Uh, nope, that's not it. At any rate, Jesus saying, you can discern, you know, you say it's a red sky at night, be good weather tomorrow, and you're right. And he says, it's red, a red sky in morning, lower, lowing clouds. You say it's going to rain today. You're right. You can discern the time, the the skies, and and how it's going to affect you. But you're blind to the spiritual season in which you live. So you you won't see the hour, or you won't know the hour nor the day. But you should know the season. And what are you saying to the Pharisees? Is that you 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 know the scriptures, you know all the prophecies, and you also know I've fulfilled all of them. And yet you do not recognize me as the Messiah. And when the disciples asked him when he was returning for to establish his kingdom, that's when he called out the Pharisees again, saying, You're blind. You don't see what's happening. And that's what's happening in our time, our day, our time, and our nation right now. I would venture to say most of the body of Christ is going about their business, which is called slumbering in the text we just read, or they ignore it at all. Well, que sera, sera, what be, what may be, will be. And that's sleeping. But here, in Matthew 25, at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go ye out to meet him. This is the scripture we're going to focus on the rest of this broadcast. At midnight, there was a cry made. Here comes the bridegroom. Go out and meet him. My question for you today that I want you to think about. Who is the one who is crying out? Who's the one who was awake while everybody else slept? Who was the one who recognized at the midnight hour 
in the middle of the night with no street lights, no headlights on cars or anything like that. Complete darkness. Who was the one who was awake on the wall watching over the city? Who was the one who identified in the dark, in the midst of the midnight hour? Who was the one who could identify the bridegroom coming? And since there's ten brides that are ready, you can almost see that this is not some poor beggar man. This is a rich person. And it's throughout the scriptures, they travel in caravans. Now, I'm not saying there was, you know, 40, 50 camels and all this other stuff loaded up. But he was not riding on a, you know, on a donkey all by himself. There was a troop with him. And he said, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out and meet him. Who was this person that was watching on the wall? That's the question I have for you today. Who was this person? Well, let's go over to Matthew chapter 10, since that's where we are headed. Jesus telling his disciples in verse 7, As you go, in other words, you're going somewhere, and as you go, if you're going to work, well, as you go, preach. You're going to school, well, as you go, preach. You're going to the grocery store, well, as you go, preach. You're going to get gas in your car, well, as you go, preach. You're going for a walk, well, as you go, preach. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That sounds like our person there when a cry was made at midnight saying, the bridegroom's coming. Here, Jesus is saying, you go and preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is time for the fulfillment of all things to take place. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand. It's right now. Another way of saying this is just like we read in the scriptures of Matthew 25. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. We can say the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's at hand. It's here. He's almost here. He's ready to come in. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's nearing then what else are you supposed to do as you declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Well, verse 8. To prove what you are saying is true. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received. What's he talking about? What is he talking about? What have we freely received? Jesus gave them power. Over in verse 1, chapter 10, Matthew 10, verse 1. He called to him his twelve disciples and gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Here he says, freely you have received this power, so freely give to those you meet. Is what he's saying, basically. Since you've received this freely, you did nothing to earn it. It's a gift. I'm giving you this power. That's what verse 10 says. He gave them power. Since you freely received, freely give. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Go down to verse 27. What I tell you in darkness, there's the midnight hour again. What Jesus tells you in the midnight hour, speak it in the light. What you hear in your ear, I can't remember the scripture right now, but in the Old Testament it says that his angels will whisper in your ear, this is the way, walk ye in it, if they turn to the right or to the left. Here he says, what I tell you in the midnight hour, declare in the light. What you hear in your ear, preach that on the housetops. Glory to God. Do not fear them. A lot of people say, well, if I did that, Brother Bob, what would people think of me? They'd think I'm some Bible thumper or some nut. What do you care? The, the ten virgins, five had oil, five didn't. The five didn't. They still wanted to go to the wedding ceremony. They wanted to be married. They wanted to go in and live with the bridegroom. They wanted to go inside. But they decided they would rather slumber and sleep, not worrying about having oil in their vessels, not worrying about what they would need to have ready. And here you see Jesus saying in response to those who say, what would people think if, if I was to witness to somebody at work and they got mad and then they went and complained and said that I was trying to push my religion on them and I could lose my job over there. Who cares? Who gave you the job? Well, uh, the company I work for, they're very liberal in their policies. Well, who cares? Maybe Jesus is ready to move you out of that place. You know, trust him for the job. He knows your needs. He says, whatever your needs are, I'll take care of it. Amen. Philippians 4.19 says, Our God supplies our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. They know, the Father and the Son know our needs. Our needs are met. That's not will be met, that's our met. God will supply all our needs at some point in time in the future. No. All we need has already been taken care of. Glory to God. Don't fear them, which could kill the body, and then they are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Amen. Over in verse 32. Whosoever, well, that's you, Touch your chest and say, I am a whosoever. Whosoever, therefore, that shall confess me before men, him I will confess also before my Father who's in heaven. If you don't shy away from representing Jesus in your daily life, in school, at work, wherever you may be, as you go preach that the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ is at hand, if you don't shy away from that, him I will confess before my Father in heaven that he belongs to me. Glory to God. But whosoever shall deny me before men. Are you one of them Bible-thumping Christians? Oh, no, not me. I, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I, you know, I think every person should be able to, to you know, uh, interpret the Bible 
uh, 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 according to their own beliefs. You know, I mean, I believe that, you know, everybody, everybody, if they're nice and they're good, they'll go to heaven someday. No, they won't. The Bible is absolutely 100% clear on that point. And if you waver one question like that, whosoever shall deny me, deny that Jesus is the only way, Deny that Jesus is the coming Messiah. Deny that Jesus has already paid the price in his blood. If you deny that before men, him also, I, I, Jesus speaking, him also Jesus will deny before the heavenly Father who's in heaven. You do not want that to happen. If you get called on the carpet at your work, Saying, what's this I hear about you uh, handing out tracts at lunch? Or what's this I hear about you talking to your fellow co-workers about coming to your church? What's this I hear about you saying that you know only those who believe in Jesus Christ will go to heaven? Don't you know we have three Muslim people working here? They got offended at what, the, at what they heard you say? What are you going to say then? Come on, hero. What are you going to say? When your boss calls Anna Carla, these Muslims over here got offended when they heard you talking about Jesus. You need to stop talking about Jesus. This is not your home. This is not your church. You're here to do a job. Well, that's true. You are there to do a job. Your job is to represent Jesus. Not to make widgets or anything else. Oh, you may be making widgets... As part of your job. But your job is to represent Jesus. Your job is to represent him wherever you are at. That's your job. 24 hours a day. Even when you're sleeping, you're supposed to represent Jesus. Amen. When you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? It better be pray. I mean, you better get up saying, Thank you, Lord, for this day. Order my steps. Allow me a chance to witness. Glory to God. You go to work. Do you leave Jesus outside? All right, Lord, I listened to your CD on the way to work. Time for me to go in. You got to stay in the car, and you leave Jesus sitting in the car. I'm not talking about CDs and all that. I'm talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. You should have Jesus inside you. Just ready to come out like a sponge that's full. You're sitting there holding it. You you know it's full of water. And as soon as you touch it, water runs out. That's how you ought to be. Someone comes up to you and says, I heard we're getting a raise. Don't go complaining about what little bit you're getting. So that's about time this sorry place gave us a raise. No, praise God. Right there in front of everybody. I hear we're getting a raise. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. I've been praying about that. See the difference? Instead of complaining, you ought to be praising. You got a job. You have a job that allows you income to live in this world. You're trading eight hours out of your day, sometimes more. The contract, whether verbal or written, the contract you have with your employer is, I will come to work between this time and this time. I will do X, Y, and Z while I am here. 
in exchange for my time from this time to this time and my work efforts in doing X, Y, and Z, you will give me this much per hour while I am here at work. That's the contract. That's the basic contract right there. Verbal or written. That's the contract. It does not say you will come to work this time and this time doing X, Y, and Z for your labors and you will leave Jesus out in your car. You will make no mention of Jesus at all during the day. You will not give praise. You will not give thanks. You will not pray while you are working for this company. Is that understood? And if you have to enter that type of agreement, you better find another place to work, Jack. It's as simple as that. Because if they're so anti-Christ in their thinking and in their, their work philosophy, that they have to actually have you agree not to represent Jesus at that place, you probably don't want to be part of that. Amen. At any rate, where, where did we leave off at? Hallelujah. Whoever shall deny me before men, them I will deny before my Father in heaven. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Amen. Verse 18. You've heard me preach over and over and over again. Every person is called into the ministry of some form or fashion. That's what we were just teaching on. You may not be a preacher. You may not be called into the five-fold ministry. You may not be called to go. You are called into some form of ministry. If you're not called to go, then you might be called to help. Help with uh, you know, running the soundboard, running the cameras, cleaning up the sanctuary, sweeping the floors, cutting the grass, working in the flowers, whatever calling God has given you, use for the kingdom of God. If he's made you super smart with computers, do something with computers for the church. If he's made you have a love for flowers and for gardening, then help the church in doing their landscaping. If you're a janitor and you have an expertise at making floors just shine, work for the church one day a week for a couple hours. Make their floors shine. Clean their windows. If you're a roofer and the church needs a new roof, put it on, glory to God. If you're a plumber and the church is having plumbing problems, give your time to the church. Whatever your calling in life is, you're either called to go or help those that go. And if you don't have any skills at all to help, then you might be called to send those that go through financial offerings. And I'm not talking about your piddly two dollars. I'm talking about financial ministry. Financial ministry. Serious money. Your tithes should go to the church. Your tithes need to be sown by faith into the kingdom of God to do the work of God. Not $2 here and $5 here and a dollar over here. Financial ministries. This is a ministry. You may be called to give $10,000 to some ministry. But you know what? God's not going to tell you to give it if you don't have it. He's not going to tell you, All right, Brother Bob, I want you to give $10,000 to the church today. 
Lord, I don't have $10,000 in the bank account. He's not going to tell you to give what you do not have. Now, you could have, let's say, 2500 in your savings account. Is I want you to sow $2,500 towards that project that they just described. Be it a roof or a missions trip or whatever. Lord, that's all I have. His response, that's all I asked for. Trust him with your finances. If he says give, give. Amen. He who lends to, unto others lends unto the Lord, and the Lord will repay. Amen. Give and it'll be given unto you again. Good measure. What's the rest? Press down. Shaken together. What else? What's the next verse? And running over. No, no, no. Read it in this light. Give and it'll be given unto you again. Good measure and press down, shaken together. Running over, men shall give into your bosom. They'll chase you down to give you money. Amen. When you sow by faith unto the Lord. Glory to God. Jesus is teaching about this. He just got done teaching the multitude. Uh, behold, a sower went out to sow. And he goes through the four different types of ground. Amen. And the disciples afterwards came to say, What does this mean? Explain it to us. Verse 18. He says, well, let's go to verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Are your eyes blessed? Are your ears blessed? Do you hear what the Spirit is saying to you? Do you see what I'm talking about in the Scriptures? If so, you're blessed. Amen. For verily I say to you that many prophets and righteous men, many righteous men, over the course of history, many prophets since the days of old have desired to see the things you see, but they did not see them. Could you imagine what the twelve disciples could do in this day, in this hour, knowing what we know? They did not have the New Testament for them to refer to. The only thing they had to study Jesus with was the Old Testament. Matter of fact, if you want to do an excellent, excellent Bible study, I refer you to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, where Jesus revealed himself to John. Oh, Brother Bob, that is so hard to understand. There's so much symbology there. It's, it's just incomprehensible. No, that's not. That's a lie of the devil. If you... Study first, say for three months, the Old Testament. Just the Old Testament. And then go into your study of the book of Revelation, leaving out the four Gospels and the books of the New Testament. Now you're studying the Word of God like the disciples did. All they had was the Old Testament. That's all they knew was the Old Testament. That's all they ever read was the Old Testament. And then the revelation that came to John on the island of Patmos was interpreting what Jesus was showing him by Old Testament methods. When you study the Old Testament 
and then study the book of Revelation, you will have a superior understanding of all the symbology that's in there because they all correspond to each other. And then you couple what you just learned in that study with what is taught in the New Testament. And there is absolutely no shadow of a doubt that Jesus is a returning king. And there's no doubt we are living in the last days before his catching away of the church when there will be a cry made at midnight. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go ye out to meet him. But will when Jesus does this, when he returns like that, will he find faith on the earth was his question. Amen. So here, Jesus says, Many prophets and righteous men desired to see the things that you see and did not see them, to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. So hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that receives seed by the wayside. These are those that don't really believe what's being told them. These are some of your co-workers. Where you're talking about, they're talking about, hey, you're going to go out Saturday night? We've got a big party going on. No, I've got to get up Sunday morning and go to church. That's planting a seed. That's a seed. Amen? They may laugh at you. Ah, you Christians are all alike or whatever. But it's a seed. He just planted a seed. The devil came immediately and took the seed out of their heart. Nothing you can do about that. You planted the seed. You are a sower of the word. As ye go, therefore, preach. Sing. By your lifestyle, by your words, by your mannerisms, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. He that received the seed in stony places, he's like a hearer of the word. And with joy receives it. He's so happy. Oh, praise God. I didn't know that before. Some of you listen to this broadcast today. When I studied the part about who's doing the crying. Who cried out at midnight. Some of you say, oh, wow, yeah, cool. With joy received it. Yet, there's no root in yourselves. And you only think about it for a little while. And then as soon as you get ready to go back to work, you're facing the mounting bills. How am I going to make the car payment? How are we going to do a house payment? What, you know, how am I going to buy food for the babies? Tribulation and persecution arises because of the word. You can't go to work and say, oh man, I heard a great sermon on the internet the other day. You need to hear this because you get persecuted for sharing the gospel at work. Amen. <coughs> When persecution or tribulation rises because of the word, then they are offended and you shut down. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that hears the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word. You don't want to go to work and share the gospel. You don't want to go to a Wednesday night meeting because, you know, you still got to get up for work early Thursday morning. You know, that means you have to rush home, fix dinner, eat dinner, clean the dishes, get the kids' homework done, and do all that before you even get to church. You don't want to take time off on Sunday. I mean, golly, I only get two days off a week. 
Whatever your excuse is, doesn't hold up when it's compared to the word. It says it chokes the word. The word becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into good ground, and he's talking about the word of God planted into your heart, is he that hears the word, understands the word, and that bears fruit, bringing forth some hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Jesus said, Don't put your trust in treasures of the earth where thieves can break through and steal and your treasures and moss do eat up and it rusts and is destroyed. Lay up your treasures in heaven where thieves do not break through and steal, moss do not corrupt and it does not rust. Lay up treasure in heaven. We studied last time. If you missed it, go back to the archives and listen to it about laying up treasure in heaven. Amen? Don't worry about worldly things that will rust, pass away, will get stolen from you. Lay up treasure in heaven where that treasure can never be stolen. What is the treasure that can go to heaven preceding your arrival? The only thing, the only thing that you can lay up are souls for the kingdom of God. That's the only thing you can lay up more than another person next to you. It does not say give your money to the church and you will have riches in the kingdom of heaven. You don't need money in heaven. You don't need gold in heaven. You don't need any riches in heaven. You need nothing in heaven. It's already there. Prepared for you by Jesus in approval of the Father. The streets that you're going to walk on are made out of translucent, pure gold. Amen. The only thing you can lay up preceding you in arriving in heaven that will determine the rewards you receive, that determine the authority you have in heaven is how many souls did you win for the kingdom. That's the only thing you have control of. Some people will, yes, they will make it to heaven. They will have absolutely no reward. Oh, they're saved and they are in heaven. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, for that. They never won one soul, never as much as lifted a finger to try and win a soul. What do you think their reward will be? Nothing. And every person will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every person will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. A lot of people are scared about that revelation, that that scripture in the book of Revelation. There's nothing to be scared about. They're worried about, oh man, when I get to heaven, it'll be like this great big movie theater screen, and they're going to play my life and all the stuff I did wrong, and everybody's going to see it. (sighs) No, that is not what's going to happen. Because Jesus covered all those sins with his blood. They're washed away. There is nothing to view. Future, past, present sins are all wiped away. Completely. If you sin today, you were saved last year and you sin today, repent. 
It's covered under the blood. When you get to heaven, there will be nothing to show anybody. It doesn't matter what you did. The Apostle Paul murdered Christians before he was saved. Beat them, tortured them. And yet, he'd say, I offended no one. Why? Because he was born again. All his sins were covered under the blood. They were all washed away. Now, in this natural body, you may have to pay for your sins. If you killed someone, you may have to give your life, if that's what the justice system says is deserving. That does not stop you from going to heaven. If you completely repent of that sin, receive Jesus as your Savior, you're going to heaven. While you're on death row, you can witness to other prisoners, you can witness to the guards, whatever you need to do. You may get one or two saved. Now you got some rewards when you get to heaven. Glory to God. But when they view your screen, let's see what you did in your life. Woof. And there's just a blank screen. I say, well, didn't do much, did you? But you're here. And off you go. But if you give faithfully to your church and your church is doing the works that they're called to do and they're supporting missionaries overseas that are winning souls, you get credit for every soul that's saved as well. If you sow by faith into ministries such as ours and help us get the gospel out, which is our mission statement, get the word out, and souls are saved, not only do we get credit for it, you get credit for it. Glory to God. So when the, you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it's like, let's see what you did. Woof. And it shows millions of people saved. Jesus is going to turn to you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your Lord. And he will give you, we studied before about the different crowns. I'm not going to take time to go over it now. But you'll get your crown of righteousness. You can get your... I mean, it's just so, you know, you're going to see people walking around with up to five, six crowns on their heads. Jesus said, enter into the kingdom. I'll make you ruler over five cities, three cities, one city. Yes, there will be rulers in heaven. Not so much in heaven, but when we get back to this earth in the millennium. Jesus will make us rulers over these cities. That doesn't mean we are kings. That doesn't mean that we are Lord. That doesn't mean that we are a God over this city. It means that we rule in his authority over that city. Because there will still be people left on this earth in the millennium. That's clear in scripture as well. 1,000 years of peace on this earth. Which will be enforced and overseen by rulers and cities and governments and all of that. We lay up for ourselves the rewards in heaven by the seed we sow here. You sow a seed, as we were talking about, into your workplace. Even if you get fired and sent home, say, Lord, I represented you there. I never caved in. They may not have appreciated. I don't know how many get saved, if they will get saved, but I planted the seed while I was there. It's up to you to work with it now. Now, Lord, I need another job. Lead me to the next job, Lord, for I am yours and you take care of my needs. And you will be led to the next job. Guaranteed. Absolutely guaranteed. Because the word never lies. Amen? And when you get to heaven, 
you will receive your reward for what you did there. Glory to God. All right. Let's turn over to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Again, here you see Jesus telling his followers, his disciples, those that follow Jesus. He says, Behold, I am giving to you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. But don't rejoice in that, that your spirits are that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words, it's not you doing the work. Don't you make yourself out to be somebody that you're not. Don't try and be a show off to others. Hey, uh, Harry, watch this. See old Joe over there? Watch me cast this devil out of him, man. Hey, Harry, or hey, Joe, come here. He walks over and you lay hands on him and, you know, cast the devil of alcohol out of him and he falls down on the floor flopping and stuff. Yeah, how about that, Harry? See, I told you I could do it. No, don't do anything like that. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. He says, don't think you're doing it because you're something great. Just rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're going to heaven. And because you're going to heaven, now you want to lay up treasure in heaven. You want to prepare your heavenly home. Glory to God. And you do that by using the power he gives to you to win souls. Amen. Go to verse 23. He turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I'm telling you, and I like personalizing scripture. Some places in my scripture I have my name written in there. Let's go back up to verse 19. I'll give you an example. It says, I give you, Bob, power to tread on serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will by any means hurt you, Bob. Notwithstanding this, don't rejoice in that, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice, Bob, because your name is written in heaven. See how it works? Now down in verse 23. Blessed are the eyes which see the things which you see. For I'm telling you, Bob, many prophets and kings desire to see these things which you see, Bob, but they did not see them. They wanted to hear the things which you hear, Bob, but they did not hear them. Amen. You see how that works? Glory to God. Flip the page, a couple pages, over to chapter 12. Luke 12. This goes back to what we're focusing on. The cry in the midnight hour. Who is it doing the crying? There is nothing covered. We're in 12 verse 2. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Neither hidden that shall not be made known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now I'm telling you, my friends, don't be afraid of them that can kill the body and after that have nothing else they can do. I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he is killed also has power to cast you into hell. That's the one you need to fear. Fear him. Amen. He's talking about God the Father. He's with you. Give him the fear, respect, admiration, and honor he deserves. 
That's the one you need to fear and worry about, not what man can do to you. If you get captured by ISIS, it's a terrible thing. They'll probably torture you, try to get you to recant your faith in Jesus Christ. We already studied, Jesus said, if you proclaim me before men, I'll proclaim you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, then I deny you. Do not renounce your Christian authority. Even if they threaten to cut off your head, just say thank you and Jesus loves you. And let him cut it off. Glory to God. Let him execute you. End your toil and tribulation on this earth and enter into the joy of your Lord. We can read in the book of Revelation. But those who were martyred during the tribulation period, their heads were cut off. An untold number of them. Because they refused the testimony of Jesus Christ. They refused to reject the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who does the beheading? It hasn't been around for a long time and all of a sudden it's resurrected because of Islamic terrorism. Amen. Anyway, that's not the direction we're going right now. Glory to God. Go to verse 37. 12. Yeah, verse 37. Luke 12, 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord... Let's see. Let's back up one verse to 36. Luke 12, 36. You yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Blessed are those servants when the Lord comes, he finds them watching. Let's go back to our base scripture again. In the midnight hour, a cry went out. Who's doing the watching? They're in a position to cry. Here, blessed are those servants when the Lord comes, he finds them watching. Truly, I say to you, that he, the Lord himself, will gird himself and make them to sit down and eat and will come forth and serve them. But if he comes in the second watch or even the third watch and finds them so blessed are those servants. Doesn't matter what time he shows up if you are watching. If it's your turn to watch, you better be watching. And those servants who are watching, every one of them, the Lord will serve. When you get to heaven and your heavenly banquet, you will be served there. Your work is over. Glory to God. Verse 39. Now, let's go down to verse 41. Then Peter said to him, Lord, are you speaking this to all of us or just to us? In other words, is this just for the leadership, Lord? Is this just for those who are anointed to go and preach the gospel? Is it, are you just talking to us or are you talking to everybody? And Jesus said, Who is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his whole household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is the servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find him so doing. Jesus has gone. He's left his church, the body of Christ here on this earth. Every person is called. You have a calling, and the calling of God is without repentance. Again, you are called into some form of ministry to go, to help, or to finance it. If you are doing your calling, 
when Jesus returns. Oh, blessed you are indeed. But if you're called to finance it and you say, I never get any recognition. You know, he stands up there and preaches and I'm, I'm paying for half this meeting. You know, I, I give his budget for one meeting is $20,000. I give that in a month. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go start preaching. And if that's your attitude, you're not doing what you're called to do. Your job was to finance the guy who could win souls. That's his anointing, soul winning, healings, miracles. Your calling is in the financial realm to support that. That's your calling to translate out of the, the, the riches of the world are laid up for the just. Your job is to translate that income from worldly system into the kingdom of God to do the work on this earth. That's your calling. Not everybody can do that. And if you're operating in your calling, when the Lord comes, blessed, verse 43 says, is that servant. Verse 44, truly I say to you that he will make him ruler of all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my Lord's not coming for a while, and begins to beat the men servants and maid servants and to eat and drink, to be drunk, In other words, you decide you're not going to do the work God wanted you to do. You're not going to operate according to your calling. You're going to use that $10,000 a month you you should have been given to the church to lay up for yourself treasure on this earth, as we already studied. And I went over in detail last week. Instead of operating according to your calling and your anointing, of generating income translated from the world system into God's kingdom and you are called to give $10,000 a month or a year or whatever into the ministry to further the gospel, you decide, you know, I'll just give my $100 or $500. I'm going to keep the rest and build up this treasure on earth. Well, you're not doing what God told you to do. Verse 46, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him. And in an hour when he's not aware of, and will cut him apart and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. I went over this in this prior study about laying up treasure in heaven. The ten virgins all believed they were going into the wedding banquet. But five were not ready. And were not allowed in. You do not want to be in that group. Amen. You want to do what the Lord has told you to do with the calling that is on your life. Like I said, you may have a calling at fixing computers or fixing electronics. Fix the church's computer system. Upgrade it for them. Help them to hook up a wireless router and all that other stuff. Secure the router and whatever they need. If that's your calling, help out. Glory to God. You may be a car mechanic. Fix the pastor's car. Tell him, Pastor, I'll give you a tune-up anytime you need it. His car starts running rough. He gives you a call. Go fix it for him. That servant, verse 47, which knew his Lord's will, And did not prepare himself. Neither did he do according to God's will. 
He is not operating in the calling which God gave him to do. He shall be beaten with many stripes. There is a price to pay if you're not following through on what God told you to do. There is a price to pay. But he that did not know and committed things worthy of stripes will be beaten with fewer stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, there you go again, you're called into the financial support ministry. But instead of giving what God had told you in your heart to give, you decided to give according to the world system, which is to get all you can. I love this saying by Andrew Womack. Especially here in the West, in America, it seems like get all you can, can all you get, then sit in the can. Amen? If that's what you've been operating by, you're not doing what God told you to do. On whom much is given, of him, much is required. Now, I talked about the financial ministry aspect. If you are called to be a soul winner and your word that you preach is confirmed with signs following according to Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 21, these signs will follow them that believe. They'll lay hands on the, the cast out devils of my name and all that all the way down. Uh, we went through... Matthew chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's your calling. And you decide, you know, people think I'm a charlatan when I do stuff like that. I'm not going to make a show of it. I'm not going to do that. You're going to be beaten with many stripes. But if you don't know that you're called, you know you're called to preach. But that's all you know. So you start holding a Bible study and you're, you're doing what you know. No one's ever come alongside you and assisted you. You know you have a calling. You know you need to operate in a higher level of ministry, but you just don't know how to get there. Well, you didn't know. To whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. But he did not know and commit things worthy as I should be beaten with fewer stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, much shall be required. But to whom men have committed much of him, they will ask the more. And Jesus says, I've come to send fire on the earth. What am I going to do if it's already started? I have a baptism to be baptized with. How am I pained until it's accomplished? I have a, I'm pained because I want the kingdom of God to do so now. But I have to go through this first at the cross in order to bring it to pass. Do you suppose that I've come to give peace on this earth? I'm telling you no. Rather division. And he goes through and lists the division. I'm telling you folks. Everyone has pictures of, oh, come Lord Jesus. Oh, come Lord Jesus. And this loving Jesus. Hi guys, I'm back. Oh, this is so great. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. No. That's how he was. He came as a lamb the first time. He's coming as a lion the second time. If you are not caught up with the shout that goes out at midnight, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. If you're not called out at that last trump, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and you are called up to meet him in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Matter of fact, let's turn over there. 1 Thessalonians 
4.16. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Glory to God. The voice of the archangel with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the boatload you want to go out on. Bob, why do they say that the dead in Christ shall rise first? <laughs> I can't remember who said it. It might have been Smith Wigglesworth, but I'm not positive. I just remember hearing it. The dead in Christ have to rise first because they got six feet farther to go. They come out of them graves, their bodies glorify, and we all go up to heaven together. Amen. But they have to rise first, otherwise we'd beat them up there. So the dead in Christ rise first because they got six feet farther to go. Glory to God. But then we which are alive and remain, all of us be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the victory celebration. That's the one that the bridegroom, the, the voice, the cry goes out in the midnight hour. The bridegroom cometh, come ye out and meet him. That's the cry that we've been studying about. Who is the one who's going to do the cry? Here it says Jesus himself. Well, we know by the Holy Spirit, that's true. But who is he going to use to prepare those to get ready? Because it has to be those, oh, glory to God. People have to be alive spiritually to understand what's going to take place. And it's up to you and I to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Down in verse 10. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Amen. That's what we have. That's what we have. We are waiting right now for his son. To come from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus, which delivered us. He has delivered us already from the wrath to come. The wrath to come, I mean, there's wrath right now in the earth. There's no doubt about it. But the wrath to come is the wrath of God. Jesus said he will not let, I mean, think about this for a second. Just, just think about it in this terms. We are the bride of Christ. And he loves his bride. Amen? He died to save his bride. He died, suffered, died, went to hell for his bride. Why would he want his bride to suffer tribulation? You get the people that talk about mid-trib, post-trib. Why would he, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you, I die for you. Now I'm going to make you go through tribulation just to prove it. No. He proves his love by getting his bride out before the tribulation happens. Amen. That's why we are going to be delivered before all hell breaks loose on this earth because God is going to pour out his wrath. This is not just a tornado here and a flood here and a drought here and war over here. This is 21 
wrath of God judgments that through the process of those seven years, two-thirds of the earth and the inhabitants on the earth will be destroyed, killed. There will be people born again during the seven-year tribulation, but they will be killed for not denying the Lord. That's written in the book of Revelation as well. It'll be hard for them. They'll seek death and not find it, the scripture says. You don't want to be part of that. You want to be part of that first load. Amen. Hallelujah. Turn over with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. You heard me preach on this before. This is my calling into the ministry. Hallelujah. Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 2 and 3 was my calling. But I want to focus here on chapter 3 and hold your place there. Go over to chapter 33. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 7 through 9. Where is that? All right. Chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7. You, O son of man, I have set you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore ye shall hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. If you don't speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. In other words, you're going to lose your reward. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he doesn't turn from his way, he'll die in his iniquity, but you delivered your soul. Amen. Therefore, verse 12, Therefore, son of man, say to the children of your people. This is who you're supposed to be preaching to. The children of your people. That's the calling. That's the one who cried out, You, O son of man, you, you're the one. You are the watchman on the wall. I know there's some ministries, you know, watchman ministry. and I'm a watchman on the wall. I know some ministries that, that they think that's their prophetic title and all that. Every believer is a watchman on the wall. Every believer is responsible for crying out. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. Unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word of my mouth, give them warning from me. And he goes on through the same scriptures. Verse 20 When a righteous man turns from his righteousness, commits iniquity, I'll lay a stumbling block before him. In other words, if he doesn't turn, he'll die. Because you did not give him a warning, he'll die in his sin. Verse 21 Nevertheless, if you warn a righteous man and he doesn't sin, uh, that the righteous, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous do not sin and he does not sin, he will live because he was warned by you. Therefore, you've delivered your soul. Your job is to be the one on the wall watching for the return of the Son of Man. You will not know the day nor the hour on which he comes, but you will know the season, Jesus said, and you need to give warning. It's midnight. It's midnight. The darkness is here, but I see the Son of Man coming. He's coming soon. He's coming. Prepare yourself. Come out 
into the wedding feast of the Lord. It is time for Jesus to return. When you are the one who calls out like that, you will warn people. And some will hear and some won't. But you will have fulfilled your purpose on the wall. That's what we're studying today back in Matthew chapter 25, verse 6. Glory to God. We'll close it right there. Matthew 25, verse 6. At midnight, there was a cry made. You are the one who's supposed to be on the wall. You are the one who should be calling out as, as told by the Holy Spirit. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. You're the one, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 6, who should be saying, as you go preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're the one. Nobody else. You. You are the one God is holding responsible for that. But if you have never received Jesus as your Savior, if you've never understood before till this day, your calling, your place, is on the wall to watch. I want to ask you right now to receive Jesus as your Savior so you can enter into that glorious land, that you can be part of the catching away of the church at the last trump so that you do not have to go through the great tribulation, that you will become part of the bride of Christ, that he will protect you and take you out from the wrath that is to come. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer right now. Pray with all your heart. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for bearing the pain and the shame in your body and on that cross, for going to hell for me. But thank God you triumphed over the devil in hell itself. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead. I believe with all my heart that you did that for me. Come into my heart now, Lord. Come into my heart, take over my life, that I may live the rest of my days for you. Lord Jesus, show me where to be a watchman on the wall. Give me the inner strength and power by your Holy Spirit to declare that the bridegroom is coming. And those that will hear and pay attention will be saved as well. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that for me. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Be blessed in all you do and be a watchman. Share the gospel with somebody all week long in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.